This morning, uh, this afternoon, actually, we're, we're starting a brand new series um, that I'm very passionate about. I'm very excited about it, and I think um, you're going to be excited about it as well. It's called Fight. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be laying out some uh, very specific biblical principles on how to fight for your family instead of fighting with your family. Now, if you've been at Westridge for any amount of time, you hopefully have picked up on the fact that I'm very passionate about the healthiness of not only my marriage, but I'm also passionate about the healthiness of, of my, my family. And we also put a big emphasis on the healthiness of our staff and their families and our elders and their families. But our church also does a lot of work with church planters. And um, a lot of the work that we do revolves around making sure that church planters and their families are healthy and striving. Matter of fact, my wife and I wrote a book uh, back in 2000, uh, came out in 2012 called It's Personal. And it's all about helping people who are in ministry to have healthy families. And uh, so if you're in ministry, and you, you know it's, you know, people think it's for full-time folks, but if you're in serving in any area, there's principles in there for you, and it's available in the World Cafe if you want to pick one up. So, but this is a topic that I'm very, not only very passionate about, but it's also a topic that I spent a lot of time studying and thinking through. And, and here's one of the things that I've learned just about the family. Whether you come from a, a really messed up, dysfunctional family, or you come from what you consider a great family with just a little bit of dysfunction, um, it is incredibly difficult to raise a family in today's society. To, 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 I mean, it's just, it's a lot of work. I mean, you have to fight to have a good marriage. You have to, to really fight to raise kids who turn out well. You have to, to know how, how to win your own personal battles, and you have to know who you're fighting against. Because as we're about to learn, we have, we have an enemy and enemies that are constantly declaring war, not, and not just against us personally, but they're declaring war against our families. And I want you to know they are ruthless, they are nasty enemies who take no prisoners, they show no mercy, um, they, they are very deceptive, they operate with a lot of lies, and they're dead set on destroying everything that is good and godly and positive that you are trying to build not only in your life but in your home. But as we're about to find out, God has, in his amazing sovereignty and his love for us, he has created a solid plan for us to stand on ground, on solid ground, against these enemies. And he's already given us everything we need. He's given us all the resources, the tools, the help, and the power to be able to fight very effectively for our families. Because God wants your family to be spiritually and emotionally healthy. He wants you to be spiritually and emotionally healthy. He wants your family, your marriage, your kids to be healthy, and he's committed to it. Please don't, 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 don't see it any other way. He's committed to it, but his plan only works if you're committed to following it. Now, the central text that we're going to be hanging out in over the next several weeks is from the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And so if you have a Bible, I want you to turn there. We're going to be focusing primarily on Nehemiah chapter 4. And I want to tell you, I love Old Testament history. Um, a lot of uh, my master's degree work was in Old Testament history, and so I love talking about it because I love how it rolls us into the New Testament. But I want to set the stage by giving you just a little Old Testament history lesson, if I could. In 722 B.C., the Assyrians attacked the nation of Israel. And over the next several years, many of the people of Israel were taken captive by the Babylonians. And when you think of Babylon, you think of, you think of Iraq, Syria, the Syrians, Syria, Iraq, that kind of thing. So it is during this time uh, that we have some great stories that come out of the Old Testament from the books like, like Daniel and Ezra and the story of Esther. It's also during this time 
that the city of Jerusalem and all of its walls and the temple are completely destroyed. Well, 275 years after the city is destroyed, after the temple is, is completely ransacked, a young Jewish man by the name of Nehemiah is given permission by the king of Persia. When you think Persia, think Iran. He's given permission to lead an expedition back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls around the city. However, when he gets there, he realizes that things are much, much worse than what he had heard. I mean, the, the city is, is a complete disaster. The people that live there are disillusioned. They're, they're complacent. They've completely lost hope. So Nehemiah is deeply burdened. He's burdened by the state of the city of Jerusalem. It's a complete war zone. I mean, there's wreckage everywhere. He's also burdened by the complacency of the people. They, they've lost their will to rebuild. They, 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 they saw no way that things could get better, and so they just lost their will to even try. Now, let me stop for a moment and say something about the power of a God-given burden. A burden, a God-given burden is where someone decides that I'm going to take personal responsibility for something that's fallen apart. A burden is born when someone decides to take ownership of something that deeply needs someone to, to just dig in and grab hold of it. A burden is where things that are, that are built to last are true, that, where, they, where they truly begin. A burden causes people to begin to fight for and rebuild the things in their life or maybe in their family that are falling apart. Great marriages begin at the doorway of burden. Um, if you're going to raise strong kids in today's society, it's forged when a parent or parents are, develop a deep burden to see that happen. Prevailing churches are built where, where someone captures a burden for a community. Our lives are changed when a community of people develop a burden for the hurting and the lost around them. Burdens create passion, and passion is where action is born. And God has given Nehemiah a burden for the city of Jerusalem and its people, and he's given him the passion to take action, action to rebuild not only the walls, but to rebuild the morale of the people who live there. Well, at the end of Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah rallies the people to help him to rebuild the wall. He has a pep rally, and the people, they're all in. In chapter 3, Nehemiah lays out a very detailed description of his building plan. And if you look at it, what you'll see is that he assigns families to work together, to rebuild sections of the wall, to repair the gates that had been torn down that are all around the city. And as you get into Nehemiah chapter 4 and in verse 13, here's what Nehemiah says. He says, So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in the open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. However... While this plan and building is going on, something else is happening. Opposition had begun to be formed against what Nehemiah was doing and against the people. And the opposition didn't come from within the ranks of the builders, didn't come from the Israelites. It actually came from outside. There were three very specific enemies that arose to bring opposition to Nehemiah and the Israelites. One was a guy named Sanballat the Hornite. Another one was Tobiah the Ammonite. And then a guy by the name of Geshem the Arab. And the opposition started off as ridicule and mocking. And then it turned to personal insults and threats. These men and, and their followers threatened to kill the Israelites until they agreed to stop building the wall and the cities or, and the gates. And as this was going on, the, the people of Jerusalem just begin to become overwhelmed with fear. They begin to look at how much work they, that had yet to be done. At this point, they're only halfway building, and they're looking and going, there's no way that we can finish all of this. It's just too much. And so they begin to complain about how tired they are, and they begin to threaten to quit, and they begin to talk amongst themselves about how they're, they're going to be attacked and killed. And so this great leader, 
Nehemiah does what a great leader does. He does something brilliant. Look at verse 14. He says, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. And when your enemies heard, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. And from that day on, half of the servants worked on construction and half held spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. And those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with with one hand and the others held a weapon in the other. Now, I want to tell you exactly what Nehemiah did here. First of all, he brought the families back together. There were families working in different parts of the city. As the work was going on, families began to kind of scatter a little bit. And so he stopped the work for a moment and he just brought everybody back together and he unified them. Then he reminded them why they were building and why they were fighting. He said, this is about the future of our family. The rebuilding of the wall was was to protect their brothers and their sons and their daughters and their spouses and their homes. He got them to focus on, on, on one goal together. He got them to focus on the big picture and the why behind why they were building He then redirected their attention back to the Lord. He reminded them that God was on their side. He armed them with weapons and tools, and then he laid out a plan to fight for each other. Now, the parallels between what happened in this story and what what, what is happening in our homes, I think, is amazing. We're building something in our homes that has great value. We're building families. It's one of the most rewarding, exciting projects that we could ever take on. But it's hard tiring work. It's exhausting at times. We're facing enemies that come against us all the time. But God has provided great leadership to guide us. He's given us a great plan to follow. He's put a great goal in front of us. He's given us a strong set of weapons and tools to accomplish the task. So with that story, with the story of Nehemiah as the backdrop, Westridge 1245, I want to ask you a few questions. Are you burdened enough for your family to fight for your family. Men, are, men are, you, are you burdened enough? I want you to know there's a war going on in your home. There's a war going on in your marriage. Are you burdened enough to stop fighting with your wife and to, and to start fighting for her? Ladies, are, are you ready? Are you burdened to start fighting for your husband and for your marriage? Parents, are you? There, there's a war. I want you to know there's a war. I don't care if they're tiny or if they're, they're 26 years old or they have, they have your grandkids. There's a war going on for the hearts of your kids, and are you ready to fight for their hearts? And if so, is your burden strong enough that it's created a passion inside of you, and are you ready for that passion to take some action, to put some steps to pull into place? See, there's an all-out war going on to destroy your family, and the question is, are you ready to fight? Well, if we're going to fight for our families, we must know the why behind why we're fighting. Now, I, as many of you know, if you've been here for a long period of time or whatever, when I was 10 years old, my dad, who was unsaved at the time, in 1976, put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be a savior. And that decision came in the midst of my parents heading into a divorce. In a last-ditch effort to, to save their marriage, my dad agreed to go with my mom to marriage counseling. And God used that counseling and the prayers of my mom, my prayers and my brother Kevin's prayers and really to what I believe to lead my dad to salvation. And that decision was a rescuing point, not only for my parents' marriage, but I believe for our family. 
a month before my dad died in 2004, God gave my brother Kevin and, and, and me a gift. We, we had a conversation with my dad about that counseling. We were sitting in, a, in an IHOP in Hiram and a little back table, and people probably wondering what was going on because the tears rolling down our face. And one, one of us asked him a question, why did you agree to go, go to counseling? I mean, come on, Dad, you didn't like our church. You didn't like pastors. You had family members that were actually, you know, encouraging you and Mom both to get divorced. You, 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 you and Mom were all but finished. And I'll never forget what he told us. He said, you know what? He said, I'm going to tell you why, boys. He said, because I looked at you when you were 10, and I looked at your brother Kevin when, you, when he was 6, and I decided to fight for my marriage because I loved your mom and there was, there was, I was not willing to let someone else raise you boys. Now, when, when your dad says that to you, I mean, tears are flowing. Now, I want you to know, at that time, at that time when, when, when all of that was going down in 1976, God had gotten a hold of my mom's heart. And she had become burdened to fight for him and our family through prayer. I would sit at the steps and listen to her. Her why to fight was, was, was for her husband and for her boys and for our family. Her why became stronger than her desire to quit. And as an unsaved man, my dad, his why became his two boys. When, when his burden became stronger than his desire to quit, he, he joined my mom in the fight together. And I know this for a fact. Had they not decided to fight for their marriage and their boys, there's no way I'd be standing up here in front of you today. I know that. Had, there's no way my brother, who's sitting right over here, would, would become the man he is today. There's no way that God would have given us these two great wives that he's given us. And I'm just telling you, and I know this to be true, generations would have been impacted in a negative way. Here's the why behind why you fight for your family. It's your marriage, it's your kids, it's your sons, it's your daughters, it's your wives, it's your husbands, it's your grandchildren. It's the generations that will follow behind you that you might never meet in this, in this lifetime. But you have to become burdened about your why because when you become burdened, your burden will lead you to passion and your passion will lead you to action and you will begin to fight for your family instead of fighting with your family. Now this next point is equally important. If you're going to fight for, our fam- for your family, you have to know who you're fighting against. Now, Nehemiah had three enemies, Samballot, Tobiah, and Geshem. Now, I promise you, there's nobody sitting in this room right now or next to you whose name is Samballot, Tobiah, or Geshem, all right? And if that's your name, I- raise your hand. I'd like to meet you, seriously, okay? Because these are the bad people of the Bible. <laughs> so you're going, I'm, I'm Samballot. All right. Here's what I want you to know. We have three enemies as well who are constantly waging war against us. And one of them is just, his name's Satan. According to John chapter 10, verse 10, Satan has one goal for you and your family. It's to kill, steal, and destroy. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, moment by moment, second by second, that's what he's out to do. And he is crazy deceptive about how he's going to go about pulling off his goal. He will lie to you. He will deceive you to get you to believe that your enemy is actually sitting next to you right now. But here's what the Bible says about this lie. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, your battle's not against your husband. It's not against your wife. It's not against your kids. It's not against your mother-in-law. Your battle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers. And I know this kind of sounds like a Star Wars thing here. Over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is a cosmic battle going on all the time to destroy you, to destroy your marriage, to destroy your kids, 
and to destroy everything good that God wants to do in your life. And Satan is the master of darkness. He's the master of the kingdom of darkness. And that kingdom is controlling our second enemy called the world system. You can put in parentheses culture. It says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Now I want you to know that Satan has three tricks up his sleeve when it comes to wanting to ruin your life. The desires of the flesh, the desires of, of the eyes, and the pride of life. You can write them down this way. Power, pleasure, and pride. He has three hooks in the water to snag you, and he always uses the same bait. Now some of you may be going, why, why doesn't he change the bait? Well, it's always been effective. It continues to work for him, so he doesn't need to change the bait. Now, you think about our culture for just a moment. What are the three driving forces in our culture that is ruining people's lives? The desire for power, the desire for pleasure, and the pride of life. And Jesus says, do not love the world or the things in this world. Why? Because it's not from God. And God knows that if you, if you get swept up into one of these traps of culture, not only are you going to miss out on God's best for your life, but it could possibly ruin your life and it could possibly destroy your family. This morning, earlier this morning, I, I, I had a close personal pastor friend from out of state who was in another state preaching for another one of my close personal pastor friends who had just confessed to a moral failure here in the last week. And so I just want you to know, I mean, I, it's, been a, it's been a tough last few days for me and for my friends. I mean, it's just been one of those things where you just sit there and you go, I mean, this guy's been in ministry for over 30 years. How does this happen? And as you listen to it all roll out, and I've heard it before, it's power and pleasure and pride. Now, the next enemy is a tough one. It's a real tough one. It's called the flesh, the old self. See, when we become a follower of Jesus Christ, God puts inside of us a brand new nature. We're actually made into a new person. And the, the Bible actually says the old is gone, the new has come. However, there's this thing called the old self, the old man, the flesh, that's still just kind of lingering around us like a bad stink, that's just trying to continue to, it's trying to suck us back into that old person and, and into the world system. And it's a constant battle that will go on for the rest of your life. And here's what the Bible says to do with the flesh. It says, put it to death. Starve it. Don't feed it. Don't give in to it. Don't dance around with it. Here's how the Bible lays it out in Colossians 3. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, what is fleshy in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. And then he goes on, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. You go to the book of Galatians, talks about the same thing. And you'll read words like jealousy and envy and divisions and fits of anger, fits of rage. Now when you hear any of those words, does any of those words describe what might be happening in your personal life or in your marriage or, or in your family? Listen, as Christ followers, you are either operating in the flesh or you're operating in the spirit. One of those things is in control right now of your life. There's no middle ground here. None. 
And the Bible says in Galatians 5 that as followers of Christ, the flesh and the Spirit of God are always at war inside of you, and the flesh wants to rob you of everything good and wants to take you out. So the Bible says, throw off the flesh. Throw off the old guy. Put it to death. Don't mess with it. Just kill it. And when it comes back, kill it again, and then kill it again, and keep putting it to death and keep killing it until your last breath. See, because there's no way, there's no way now, that you can fight for your family if you're walking in the flesh. If you're still dancing the tango with the old man, you're going to get messed up because it's just too strong. You can't deal with it. So as you're building your family, you just need to know there are three very powerful enemies that are constantly at work to destroy what you're building. And here's my plea to you. Please don't be naive about this. Please don't be passive. Please don't hide your head in the sand. Don't get caught off guard. And don't walk around weak and powerless. Because God is aware of what you're up against. And as a result of that, because he's loving and he's sovereign, he has given you some very powerful weapons to fight with. But you have to be committed to fight with those. And so if we're going to fight, fight, fight for our families, here's what we have to do. We have to know what those weapons are. We have to know what they are, and we have, no, we have to know how to use them. One of the most important things that Nehemiah does here for these builders is he, he arms them with weapons. He gives, them, he gives them spears. He gives them shields. He gives them bows. Every worker, it says, had a, had a sword on his side. And Nehemiah told them, listen, don't stop working. With one hand, continue to work and build, and with the other, hold your weapon. As we fight for our families, God has armed us with weapons, and I believe he wants us not only to know how to, how, what they are, but he wants us to know how to use them. And we're going to dig into these things more over the next several weeks as we talk to men, as we talk to women, as we talk to, you know, about, about parenting and marriage and, and, and blended families and singles adults and all of this and that. So I want to hit on them quickly. And I want to repeat something that Paul said to you earlier. I want you to write these things down, and I want you to put them somewhere where you can see them every day so that you know as you walk through the day, here's what I've got working for me. First of all, our salvation. There is not a more powerful weapon in your arsenal to fight for your family than your salvation. And here's why. At the moment you become a Christian, several things happened in your life. First of all, not only did God change you from being an old person to a new person, but you became one of his children. The Bible says you were actually adopted into his family. He became your father. And as a result of being one of his children, you have now been given full access to God the Father. He's not holding back on you. He's not mad at you. He's not punishing you. He has, you have full access to him anytime you want. You have also been given all the power to endure and overcome whatever trials or temptations that may attack you or your family. You have become full, a full heir of every promise that God has made in his word to his children. You've also been delivered from the realm of Satan and the power of evil. And then also, this is so good, your sins have been forgiven. And not just at the point that you came to Christ, but as you continue to repent of your sins when you mess up, God keeps forgiving you. Now, I could go on and on because it's just, I mean, what God's done for us through salvation is amazing. Colossians 2 says, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are, let's say this word together, complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. The word fullness means complete. In other words, nothing needs to be added because Jesus died on a cross for my sins and, and rose again to conquer death. Everything I need to fight for my family is at my disposal. Because of Jesus, I have everything I need 
to walk victoriously against the enemies that want to take me out. They want to take out my marriage, want to take out my kids, want to take out my family, want to create havoc and destruction. Because of Jesus, I'm already victorious over Satan and the world and the flesh. And so here's the here's key. As children of God, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. We fight from victory. The second weapon you have as a result of your salvation is the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 8 11 says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Listen, when you become a Christian, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave lives, begins to live inside of you. The same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus to be able to do miracles, to live a sinless life. He lives inside of you. And what does he do? Well, among many, many other things, Romans 8, 26 says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, some of you may feel weak as a husband this, this afternoon. Some of you may feel weak as a wife. You feel weak as parents. Maybe you, you feel like your family's on life support, just sucking wind. God promises that his Spirit will help us, help you in our times of weaknesses. You say, how does that happen? We have to give him control. We have to stop trying so hard to run things ourselves and to do things in the flesh and do things in our own strength. And we have to give him control. We have to begin to depend on him to help us with our marriages instead of leaning on our own wisdom and our own strength. We have to let him take control of our parenting. We have to give him control over our purity and our desires. Because if we don't, what happens? The flesh takes over. And when the flesh takes over, that's when things begin to go off the rail. Listen, we have powerful, powerful weapons right at our disposal in the Holy Spirit. And you cannot effectively fight for your family and defeat the enemies that are coming against us without the Holy Spirit being in control. It just can't happen. The third thing that we have is God's Word. Now, one of the most common, one of the most, one of the common things that each of our enemies have in common is deception. Satan, the world, culture, the flesh will all lie to you. Lie to your kids, lie to your, your family with the intent of jacking you up and destroying your life. You say, how do I combat lies? Because I, here's what you do. You replace lies with the truth. And where does truth come from? It comes from God's word. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to all who come to him for protection. And so as the enemies were, were hurling lies and insults to the builders that were building the walls and the gates, what was Nehemiah doing? He was speaking truth back into the lives of the builders and he was saying this, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember how powerful he is. Remember who he is and what he's done for us. Nehemiah wanted the people to remember the truth. The Lord had called them to build the walls, to replace the gates. Listen, when God calls you to build something, and here we're talking about building families, listen, he will shield you and he will protect you from your enemies when you come to him. Open his word in a way of, of, say, Lord, as I open the word up, would you protect me? Would you use it as a shield against my enemies? And then, oh man, such a powerful weapon, prayer. Throughout this story, as their enemy was was, was getting more and more and more hostile and the people became more afraid, what do we see Nehemiah and the builders do? They're praying for strength. They're praying for protection. One of the greatest gifts that, that I believe God's given Amy and me is that we both grew up in homes where we watch God answer some really tough prayer requests. We both watch God do miraculous things through prayer. 
So early in our marriage, we made a decision that we would pray together as a couple as often as possible for, before we went to bed. And we would, we would pray as a family as much as we could. And, and trust me, we're not perfect. There's a lot of nights that we miss. But I can tell you this. Together, we've watched God do the miraculous in our over 23 years of being together, being married together. Early on, we watched God provide for us financially when we didn't have anything left. We didn't know how we were going to pay our bills. We didn't, we didn't even know how we were going to get food. We watched God help us start a church with only a handful of people. We, I, I can't tell you how many times we've come to the Lord with tears running down our face praying for our boys, not seeing how God could ever answer, and yet he would. He'd come through for us, and there's still prayer requests that we're throwing out there. And, and sometimes God answers our prayers a little bit differently, but it always seems to work out better than what we were praying. Why? Because he's sovereign and he loves us, and he, we can trust him. And I want to tell you, I believe that God has guarded and protected our marriage because we pray together. Prayer is a powerful tool in your arsenal. The Bible says in James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous man, a righteous person, is powerful and effective. And as Amy and I fight for our family, prayer, what happens? Prayer invites him into the battle to fight for us. And then another weapon, your church family. Nehemiah 4.19, Nehemiah says, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally us there. One of the things that I love about the story in Nehemiah is that Nehemiah was able to recognize one of the most important reasons why the builders were struggling with just being tired and being weary and just being fearful. It's because their families, at some point in this story, they had become scattered all over the city. They were away from each other. So what does he do? He creates a rallying point. He knew that in the midst of the building, the builders needed to get together to draw strength from each other. So he told them, listen, when you hear the trumpet blow, rally together. Let that become a place where you come together. One of the, one of the reasons we believe so strongly in small groups here at Westridge is because we need a group of people in our lives who will stand with us through, through the tough moments of life. We need people to, to pull us up when we feel weary and when we feel tired. We need, we need to feel like there are people who are, who are fighting alongside of us in prayer for our marriages and for our kids. We need to, we need to have people in our lives who will celebrate life with us. We need to feel like we're, 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 we're doing life and we're, 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 we're part of a family on mission together. And listen, Sunday afternoon, Sunday morning is, is a powerful rallying point for our church, but it's hard to experience all of those things that I just described in a large crowd. So one of the most effective weapons that's available to you in your arsenal is just the strength of close friendships in your church family. You need that weekly rallying point. Some of you may have just turned in your card and said, I'm not interested in a group. Go get that card back and change your answer. Listen, let let a small group be your rallying point. Let it be a powerful tool in your arsenal. And then finally, we have this powerful weapon at our disposal called our Heavenly Father. One of, the, one of the most powerful moments in this whole story happens at the end of verse 20. After Nehemiah has given out all of his instructions on how to fight, he speaks six life-changing, powerful words into the people's lives. Here's what he says. After I've told you everything, after I've told you, given you all your weapons, here's what you need to know. Our God will fight for us. You can't beat that, can you? When you're, when, you're, when you're under attack and the enemy's coming against you, when you feel like you're weary and you feel like you're ready to just th- completely throw in the towel, our God will fight for us. So as we fight, we have to know our why. 
It's our kids, it's our families, it's our wives, it's our husbands, it's, our, it's, our, it's generations to come. We have to know our enemies. We have to know how they operate. And we have to know our weapons. And I want you to know that because of Jesus and God's gift of salvation, you don't fight for victory, you fight from victory. Remember, you have a Holy Spirit that has given you the same power that allowed Jesus to conquer the grave. You have God's word, which, is, which the Bible says is a, is a powerful sword against our enemy. You have a powerful, effective tool called prayer in your arsenal that, that's always at your disposal. You have access to God the Father 24-7. You have your church family to stand beside you in the battle. And you have your heavenly Father who promises to fight for you. You know, as I think back about what my parents were going through years and years ago, you know, back in the, in the mid-70s. And I can't help but think, you know, I have my mom on one side, and, and she's coming out of religion, and, you know, but she had put her faith and trust in Christ, and she's, God's got a hold of her life, and she's, she's praying. But I've got my dad over here who's, he's wanting to fight for his boys, but he's got nothing in sight. All this stuff, the Holy Spirit, the power of God's word, the prayer, he, he doesn't have that. Why? Because he didn't have salvation. He didn't, have, he didn't have the basis. He didn't have the foundation. And so here they were. They may have been wanting to fight together, but they couldn't. Because mom had Jesus and dad didn't. But I want to tell you something. When my dad put his faith and trust in Christ, it was a game changer. Because all of a sudden, my dad had Christ. My mom had Christ. God pulled them together through the power of the Holy Spirit. They began to pray together. And I'm telling you, it just saved their marriage, saved our family, saved me. Save my brother. Save generations. No, there's no doubt about it. And I'm asking you today for a couple things. One is, if you're sitting next to your husband or wife and you're not saved, would you put your faith and trust in Christ today so you can begin to fight together? You're on the same team working, and I mean, working together through the power of the Holy Spirit to fight for your family to have the marriage that God wants you to have, the spiritual, emotionally healthiness that he wants you to have. Some of you, listen, you, you might be sitting next to somebody today. I mean, you're, you, you, whether you're, you're the husband or the wife, and oh man, you're just wanting to operate in the spirit, but you've got some flesh going on over here. Would you come together this morning? Would, would you, over here, continue to pray with love, for this person over here and would you if you're operating in the flesh over here would you please die to it just put it before the Lord put it down in front of the cross and say I'm, I'm not I'm, I'm putting that down I want to walk with my husband with my wife I want us to be a powerful couple together so that we can we can have God help us to raise our kids and help us to raise our family and pour into our grandkids one day God gives them to us or maybe you're a single person here today and, and you're struggling with purity and you're just wondering if, if it's worth it for you to remain pure and listen that it's worth it Keep fighting. Keep fighting. Because you'll never know how God's using you, how God is using your testimony, how God's using your purity, how God's using your desire to walk with him to impact the lives of others around you. If you're a student here today, listen to me. I know, being out there in the culture, I mean, it's pulling against you constantly. And it's, it is so desirable, so desirable. The hooks, the bait has never been more attractive it's going to ruin your life. I promise you that. And I say that to you with all love. It will ruin you. It will take you down roads that you don't want to go. 
it will just squash everything good that God wants to do in your life. And my prayer for you today is that you will see that, recognize that, and put that in front of God and go, no, this is not who I am as a child of God. God has so much better for me, and that's the road I'm going down. Would you bow your head for just a moment? If you're here today and you have never put your faith and trust in Christ, you've never had that foundation of salvation in your life, pray with me, if you would. Say, Lord Jesus, right now, please, let the old become new. Create inside of me a new heart. I receive your free gift of salvation. I am sorry for my sins, Lord. I repent of my sins. Jesus, you are the Son of God. I put my faith and trust in you alone and what you've done for me on the cross. Thank you. Thank you. 